Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish. Why not both? Steel. And I'm Jade. Both? Both? Both is good. Rose. <laughs> And um, welcome to part one of a mini-series of sorts. We're putting a spotlight on various patches of the big queer quilt that perhaps don't get as much representation as they should. And today we're looking at bisexuality. i got a weird echo and so I keep throwing myself off by hearing my own voice. Please ignore any weird pauses from me and the reason we have a weird echo is that today we have a guest and Woo! before you accuse us of bi yes jade will always be my bisexual icon oh thank you but for this series we wanted to invite other perspective perspectives onto the show um we will not be covering every single aspect or experience that comes with these identities um that's not possible but we want to open our doors to points of view in these topics that are slightly different to ours um, so without further ado, welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> I am Madeline, psychotic, psychotic bastard writer Vaughn. <gasps> yes, excellent. Uh, Madeline, welcome to the show. Um, would you like to give like pronouns, any labels you feel like you want people to know, who you are, what you do? Who the hell are um, you? <laughs> basically who are you how did you get onto this show how did you um, get my skype address <laughs> with difficulty so <laughs> so um i'm madeline vaughan um she her pronouns please um and i am a bisexual uh cisgendered woman and uh, i am a lecturer of creative writing at the university of winchester and an author uh, of fantasy who does cruel and horrible things to her characters. <laughs> Excellent. Um, you also host a show called, uh, co-host a show called Dissecting Dragons, where uh, you look at speculative fiction. And- um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> sorry. Yes, you can talk about that. Uh, it, no. Uh, no, I, I, this is actually, I'm actually cheating on dissecting dragons today, and I feel a little bit bad about that. Oh, um, well, because, <laughs> no, no, it's, no, it's, I, fortunately, we record later, so I'm going to be doing two podcasts in one day. Um, how apt. But, uh, I know, but, um, I, I, Jules, my co host, I sort of sent her a message, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm cheating on you. And she was like, what? But uh, obviously, when I explained that it was box not included, she was, um, she was totally cool with it because um, we, we have actually had Hamish. We have actually had Hamish on on the show as yeah, well. Yeah, a couple of times. And like, even though this, um, even though Box Included was Jade's idea, and you came to me with it, um, when we were kind of coming up with what we wanted the show to be, Detecting Dragons was definitely um, an inspiration for me. I really enjoyed the way that you uh, still, you know, after how many episodes? About one hundred and fifty. Um, yeah, it's, we've been going for two years, yeah, and it's like an episode hardcore. a week. So. But just like finding new topics to do, and it's really cool. And like, I I don't read very much, but as a writer um, of mostly scripts and stuff, it's always like really interesting to hear your perspective. So I wanted to have you on for a while. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but uh, before we um, get onto the reason why you're here, we like to have a little catch up, a little geek out. Um, mm-hmm. Madeline, is there anything you have been consuming lately that you want to talk about? Yes. Well, um, actually, I've just finished reading a book called The Lies of Locke Lamora mm-hmm. by uh, Scott Lynch. Um, and it actually took me a while to get into it. Um, I'm dyslexic, and so actually sometimes I really, really struggle to read. And so I got the audiobook to get through this because it's very description-heavy. Um, but actually I, I ended up sort of falling in love with this book and I'm really looking forward to reading the next two. And it kind of fell onto my radar cause I'm a big six of crows fan, um, which is by, uh, Leanne. No, not Leanne Hearn. Uh, oh God, I've just forgotten her name. It's okay. We, we are well prone uh, to that kind of thing. Yeah, no, yeah. no judgment. Leah Bardugo, that's her name. Um, and, uh, I liked um, Six of Crows because it was actually incredibly diverse and it actually had a bisexual character and it had a dyslexic character, which was incredible for me. So 
I always put that down as hands down one of the best YA books I've ever read. Um, mm. And then and then I, I sort of picked up uh, The Lies of Locke Lamora. Um, and I finished reading the first book and I wrote this whole thought piece out about the fact that the whole way through reading it, um, I read the the main character as a trans man, um, Locke himself as a trans man. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I was totally, like, actually, the, the, the book really lent itself to that kind of reading through, um, in, in, in sort of, uh, because I'm a, I'm a lecturer, um, we study something called queer theory. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, looking at books through, through a queer lens, it's, as it's so called. Um, and I sort of, I, I ended up picking up this fantasy book. You're not really supposed to, I guess you're not really supposed to do it with, with, you know, modern fantasy books, but I did it with this fantasy book anyway. Mm. Um, and I just thought, actually, I really, really kind of like this reading. Um, and I wrote this whole piece justifying the reading, just saying, actually, you never see him, (laughs) you never see him shave. You never see him do any of the, there's literally no reason why he couldn't be a trans, uh, man. And I got very, very excited about it. Um, and I don't know whether that's me just sort of pushing representation onto something I want to see, but I like the fact that the option was there to read it like that. That's awesome. So, yes. I think, fan- <laughs> like, it's a lot better now, but fantasy is a genre that a lot of authors can excuse themselves for not having representation in. Mm. Um, and yeah. I think, like, often with race, I think... Um, mm. You know, there's lots of issues and stuff like Tolkien that I think has repercussions today in fantasy and people aren't... I think people think that queer people are just a modern invention. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... Uh, the the interesting thing about Tolkien is that obviously his... The whole purpose of his books is, first of all, he wanted to create his own language because mm. he was a giant nerd and I'm, mm. I'm fully behind him on that. Second of all, he, he just really wanted to write about nature um, and he was angry at Shakespeare with Macbeth. So he just took a couple of things from uh, mm-hmm. Macbeth and, and just changed them around about trees moving and, and women killing uh, men because no man born a woman. Um, but really, all he wanted to do when he wrote Lord of the Rings was he was very envious of the mythology that they that was present in Norse um, and Celtic and he wanted something equivalent for England and and for yeah basically just for England so he wrote the Lord of the Rings um Mm. and yet despite that Lord of the Rings the original one does have uh people of of darker skin it's described that as well I think the hobbits in particular are are said to have uh darker skin some of them Mm. um but it was very much he was writing just about something for England and so yeah, there wasn't a lot of a, a lot of, of race there. And because he he was the one who actually created the genre of fantasy in that this book was so popular, people would come in and say, we want more like this. And so mm-hmm. shopkeepers and stuff, they had to put everything that was like Tolkien onto one shelf and it was called fantasy. And that's where it came from. So it wasn't originally written as fantasy. It became the first piece of recognised mm. fantasy. Um, and then... He kind of set off this trend. And the problem is that in trying to create something original just for him um, and and for England, he ended up uh, sort of setting this trend where actually it became oddly exclusive. Hmm. So, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm just just (laughs) rambling now, but yeah. (laughs) If you find it, I mean, I find this very interesting, but if our listeners do find this kind of talk industry, this is what Dissecting Dragons is, and I do love it for it. Um, Uh, is there anything else? Is there anything you want to talk about? Um, um, about? Just a, a, a quick one, uh, because I've literally only got like three chapters in, four chapters in, which is very slow going for me as a reader. But I'm keeping the book in my desk drawer, and it's been in there for like a month or two, and it's sort of like I'm teasing myself with it. But I finally started reading what is it? Um, the Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, which a friend of mine has been bugging me to read for maybe a year because it's sci-fi and it's about a bunch of misfits in a spaceship together and it's the most <laughs> jade thing brand ever and um but i've started reading that and like i said i'm four chapters in i've met the characters basically mm. and i'm like oh no 
Oh no, this is so my bullshit. <laughs> but um, I'm sure I'll do a proper geek out about it. But I want to thank my friend for buying me the book because it was on sale on Amazon for like one ninety nine, mm. and he's like, "I've bought you the book. Read the book." And if you are listening, Paul, I have started. It has begun. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, I, to keep this. Ad- our very first all book yeah um geek out um mine's i don't know maybe not as highbrow as anything but um so there's a tradition in the classic series of doctor who of these things called uh, target novelizations where there was a publishing house called target and um before videos and uh regular dvd releases of doctor who um, the best way to remember an episode of Doctor Who was to buy the novelization of it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Doctor Who fans <laughs> have lots of like fond memories of, oh, I never actually watched that episode, I only read that episode. Um, and they've started releasing uh, versions of new episodes Ooh. in like a kind of nostalgia kind of way. Yeah. Um, and among them is uh, an adaptation of Rose, the very first episode of New Who, written by Russell T. Davies. Mm-hmm. So the adaptation's written by him. Um, and also uh, Day of the Doctor of the 50th Anniversary, written by Stephen Moffat. And both of these writers are now ex-showrunners. So these, like, new books are kind of a fun... Because they're not canon, and no, they're filled with, like, jokes and uh, expansions on the original. Um, and they're kind of ways for those two showrunners to just, like, throw in a few more little... Uh, bits of the Doctor Who universe before they kind of completely abandon it forever. Um, <laughs> and so there's some funny, there's some interesting things. So in a, if you remember in the very first episode of Doctor Who, Rose uh, meets this guy, this conspiracy theorist guy called Clive, who has been researching the Doctor. And in this show, she sees all these like drawings of Christopher Eccleston throughout Like the, the Titanic and stuff yeah. like that. And in this book adaptation, he shows her a bunch of other pictures, including a guy in a bow tie with a massive chin, <laughs> um, some blonde woman wearing braces, which mm-hmm. is a reference to the upcoming Doctor, but yes. then throws in a bunch of other Doctors and says um, a bald black woman uh, on a skateboard and, um, a per- yes. and a person that Rose couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl, but in a wheelchair. And like, all these, it, it's like, kind of like... Uh, throwing random diversity in, yeah. but it's in a very Russell T. Davies, this will make someone mad kind of way, which I like. <laughs> I like um, that Russell T. Davies does subscribe to the school of spite sometimes. Yeah. It's just like, you said I couldn't do this. <laughs> he, I'm you. he loves throwing things that are so ridiculous in, well, not ridiculous, but like so go against the established mm. like idea of Doctor Who, but making them vague enough that you can sort of... yeah. Whatever, and um, the reason I'm mentioning these in this episode is um, a lot of people head canoned Clara, the mm-hmm. Doctor Who companion, as bisexual. Yeah, um, head canon to a point where like it's not especially stated, but she does talk a lot about like going back in time to kiss Jane Austen and how great it is, and like there's a lot of things like that. And in the adaptation of Day and the Doctor, there's a scene where. Um, in the episode, there's a woman called Kate who is secretly a Zygon in disguise uh-huh. who's trying to kill Clara. Um, and there's a scene in the adaptation where the Doctor says, didn't you notice Kate acting strangely? And uh, Clara says, oh, I thought she was coming on to me. And the Doctor <laughs> said, says, uh, oh, what was that like? And she's like, I was a bit disappointed. I was thinking of a perfect place we could go. For, <laughs> for <a drink."> um, <laughs> Brilliant. And so I want to, I'm probably going to mention Clara at the end and a few other bits of Doctor Who representation, but I think that's a segue into uh-huh. today's topic, which is bisexuality. A nice, non-controversial topic that nobody <laughs> has any strong opinions about and that never causes any grief for anybody. Yeah, and I think, um, obviously that's why we brought Madeline in, uh, but again, to reaffirm, these episodes are looking at it from personal experience and a few other like bits of the media and we're not going to a uh cover every experience possible but also um completely be an expert's guide and and no yeah so it's more like a little touching touch on it introduction we'll come back to later that said um shall we briefly try and define bisexuality 
sure, I'll go first and then Madeline can say what she thinks, if it's the same, if it's different, and then we can argue about that for an hour <laughs> in the way of true bisexuals. Yes. <laughs> um, for me, and I know for a number of people, bisexual individuals bisexuality is being attracted to people of the same or similar genders to yourself and different genders to yourself that's basically it oh you see i was hoping to smack down with you but mine's exactly the same (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess i guess the invisible which is a joke about bisexual people being invisible. That's very funny. <laughs> Remember, on Bi-Visibility Day, don't rob banks. Wait until every other day of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the kind of archaic idea is attracted to men and women. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the understanding most people have. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's, it's the argument they, they say. It's like, well, bi means two, so, and, and there are only two genders, of course. Um, <sighs> but, and, I mean, when I was first coming to terms with the terminology. Um, and then I heard pansexuality and I thought, oh, maybe I should identify as pan Same. instead, since that I, I actually am attracted to um, any and all. I just like people, to be honest. Yeah, I had the exact same thing. Um, but then in the end, I, I, there was an, I had an affinity with, with the word bisexuality. It was important to me because mm. it was actually one of the big and moving moments of of my identity when I figured out exactly what was wrong with me and that I wasn't just some freaky pervert who couldn't decide yeah. which which um which gender I wanted to go for yeah <laughs> um so yeah um I'll, I'll say the caveat here like when I talk about bisexuality I do include pansexuality within that and i know there are pan people that don't want to use the term bisexual for a reason there are bisexual people who don't want to use the word pan for a reason but the way i see it is that bisexuality the umbrella of pansexuality does come underneath that and it's like how was it uh, squares are rectangles rectangles but not all rectangles are squares like it's it's that kind of thing but there's a lot of discourse and a lot of like arguments about it and like the word pansexuality came in later probably as a result mm. of discourse and arguing within the community but it's yeah. like the original definition of bisexuality the original bi pride flag non-binary people were a part of it from the beginning non-binary identities have always been included in bisexuality and as a non-binary yeah. person that's like a big thing for me. Mm. Yeah. I guess that goes on to what I was going to ask you two, because you hinted on it briefly, Madeline, um, your experiences in discovering your bisexuality. Uh, Madeline, if you'd like to go first. Yeah. Um, so I've got a slightly odd one. Um, I was technically raised Catholic, um, and I ended up going to sort of relatively Christian schools, including a missionary school at one point, even though my father was a devout atheist um, and my mother was pretty sort of laid back when it came to religion. Hmm. Um, so in fact, I, I, I had a brief period in my life when I was actually quite religious. Um, and there was around the same time in my life that I suddenly became conscious of the fact that I actually liked boys and I liked girls and uh, I just didn't know what was going on. And I genuinely used to think that when I got stomach aches, it was punishment from God because I'd done something wrong because I had, I had no idea what bisexuality was. I'd heard of, of being, of being gay, but I didn't understand the idea that you could be, you, you could like several genders at once. That just didn't, it never occurred to me. And it was simply because I'd never had any representation of that at all in my life. No one talked about it. You know, we didn't talk about homosexuality really at home. Um, we didn't, we didn't, and, and every time it was brought up in school as well, it, it, there was a very negative connotation. So it's not like there was any candid kind of conversation happening. And by the time I was about sort of 15 or 16, uh, I met someone. Um, who said they were bisexual and it changed everything for me just having that word literally 
flicked a switch and I, I, I sort of came out and said, I think I'm bisexual too. And I think they thought I was just copying them. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't realise that actually this this had been something which had which had been confusing and upsetting me for an incredibly long period of time. Um, to the point that I was like, am I a lesbian? Am I straight? And I, I'd go, I'm definitely a lesbian. I, I kind of like girls. But it's also a bit odd for me because I'm really kind of leaning toward demisexual. Mm. So I was never sexually attracted to anyone either. I just knew that I liked people and, and, and I thought, maybe I just think of them as friends. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> so yeah, so that, so that was my experience. So it's only really in, in very recent years that I have come into to terms with my sexuality and become very more confident with it and really learnt to identify who I was. But um, And we'll probably bring this up later and I don't want to yammer on too long. Um, but around the time that I was 17 and still quite closeted um, and still trying to figure out what, what being a bisexual meant... I started writing my my first book, The Sons of Thestian, which was published later. Um, and the main character, Rufus, is bisexual. And I literally created him as bisexual um, to kind of talk about the way I was feeling when I was in an environment where I couldn't talk about it. Mm. So, yeah, so I'll... Anyway, I'll stop there, but that's... No, we'll come back to that. That's my experience. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> um, Jade, I, I, you've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I do want to. I do find your story kind of funny, coming <laughs> from because you were in an all girls school. Uh, yeah, um, I was under the impression I was a late developer. Like being attracted to anybody, and I, I really want to spend all of my time with this person, and I'm not sure why. And finding out I was getting my uh, autism diagnosis sort of throws a whole lot of that into relief as well. Mm. But. Um, Bar a brief crush on Leonardo DiCaprio, who did basically look like a lesbian at that (laughs) point in time. Um, I was fairly convinced I was gay. I was around girls constantly uh, because, as Hamish just said, I went to an all-girls school. And I was just like, these are the people I want to spend time around. I'm not interested in boys. Boys scare the crap out of me. Girls are great. I like girls. Um, Mm. I spoke to some friends. Some friends then got very weird because apparently you do not want to be a, a lesbian at an all-girls school. That's a really good way for everyone to hate you. So, but that was sort of where my head was at. And then I went to a mixed uh, mixed gender six form. And then I was like, oh, huh. So boys are a thing. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it just sort of went from there and I was lucky to meet some very sort of switched on people who were just like, yeah, that's that's bi, that's cool. And I'm just like, cool. And um, then as we were briefly talking before when we were defining uh, bisexuality, I sort of swung around to using pan because I was like, people's genders don't really factor into my attraction to them at all. And I was working under the false misunderstanding of what bisexuality was with regards to men and women. And I was like, well, we're non-binary people and trans people. Again, I was young and ignorant and I'd like to think I'm much better informed now. And while I quite often use the label queer for myself, uh, like you, Madeline, I there's a really strong connection I have to saying I'm bi I I Mm. like it. I like that there's so much wordplay that can be done with it because I'm a (laughs) trashy person that likes dicking about with the English language. But there is something short and snappy and wonderful about going, yeah, I'm bi, by the way. And uh, and the bi flag is just really fucking nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was just going to mention that um, as and gay... Um, part of coming to terms with being gay or lesbian or monosexual, but let's talk about that a different episode, um, is you do go through that stage, like the same stage as you're going, you were talking about where you are sort of thinking, oh, am I actually attracted to women as well? Am I attracted to men? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but at a stage you do typically slot into somewhere and you think, ah, oh, okay, I understand, that, I understand that attraction. And I know that it's a, um, 
experience a lot of bi people have where that battle kind of continues for quite a long time (laughs) because you're constantly trying to prove to yourself that you're something Mm -hmm. and not knowing that uh, being, you know, having different preferences and constantly changing preferences and maybe sometimes having preferences that are stronger than others is a fine place to be. It's not a... um, Yeah, I think a lot of uh, bisexual people, we... You've got the fucking the twin forms of internalized homophobia mm. and compulsory heterosexuality, yeah. and then you've got like you said, because a lot of people aren't like down the middle. Mm. I use the term in big old air quotes, like equally attracted to people of similar and mm. different genders. It might be I mostly prefer women and femme identified people, but I occasionally am attracted to men or the vice versa, and I think a lot of people do go through oh i'm bi oh no i'm gay and that's fine and there are people who identify as gay who then go oh actually no i'm bisexual and both of those experiences are totally okay but even within the queer community actually especially within the queer community i think there's a lot of there's a lot of biphobia yeah Mm. there's so much biphobia And it's kind of exhausting. It, it's something... Sorry. Um, I, <laughs> but I, no, I think no, that another thing that really sort of adds to that is the fact that um, you can really be told it's a phase. And and the fact that, especially yes. for uh, for women, I find, and, and, and sort of femme-identifying people, um, you have this experience where you say, oh, but girls are just like that. You know, that, that's what they say in school. And... Yeah. and mm. Was it uh, lesbian until yeah, graduation? Ex- like all girls go through that phase where they want to kiss yeah. other girls. It's fine. You'll and grow it's out also of the it. fact that I think you know I'm in a relationship now um, with my uh, my my partner Sean, and um, I'm very conscious of the fact that you know I I say I, I I'm bi and people are like, but you're in a heterosexual relationship, and I just think that mm. I, 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 I just think really if. Being in a relationship is the thing that defines your sexuality. Does that mean that heter- single heterosexual people are just nothing? Mm. I think I, I know quite a few um, bi women with straight male partners. And I think people need to realise that when you're bisexual, you what you have on offer to you <laughs> is all straight people or the 10% of the population that are also <laughs> queer. And so it's much more likely to find a partner who is straight and that doesn't invalidate your sexuality at all. Um, But I can understand the kind of the internalised battle about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, I'm realising we're recording this ahead of talking about it, but I get the feeling this is going to come up a lot in our, or has come up a lot in our uh, queer, not queer enough discussion. I Mm. definitely imagine that I've spoken on that before but like Madeline I I feel the exact yeah. same thing you do and as somebody that's uh, read as a cis woman with a cis male partner it's just sort of like uh, and then you're just like but no 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 no, no I'm queer <laughs> I, the, am um, I, I I know that's a guy next to me it's the problem with people wanting to like kick straight people or straight couples yeah. out of pride and things because yeah. it's like you have no idea what's going on in that relationship yeah i suppose this leads down to our next point about what isn't bisexuality and and how it's perceived by the public be that the the straight public or the <laughs> queer community mm. pick a side <laughs> is the oh, don't be greedy don't make be greedy. a choice look i can, you can be bisexual and greedy. <laughs> it's possible <laughs> speaking as somebody that's uh bi and poly <laughs> hell yes <laughs> I'm a, I can't make up my mind and I can't commit. That's what I am. Well, I mean, we've touched on those. Another, I, I guess, unfaithfulness is another bad oh, um, yeah. stereotype. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, because if we're, uh, if we're with a partner of one gender, of course we're going to cheat with a partner of a different yeah. gender. Because, you know, we have to satisfy both of those urges. Because we have no self control. Because we, we can't don't, make decisions. Apparently, I don't, you know, just really. <laughs> <laughs> While also not existing. It's, it's just. 
It's just so, the yeah. idea that, that we're going to go in and, and, and sort of cheat immediately. It, it kind of really makes me laugh because, like, do you know how hard I had to work to get a boyfriend? What, you think? <laughs> Getting into one relationship was hard enough. I'm like, I'm done now. This is it. This is that box ticked. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely fine. But yeah, it. I kind of like it. I like the thought of Schrodinger's bisexual. You don't know if it's a straight or a gay until you look at it. Like until you open the box. I know that's not how it works. Before um, anyone yells at me about what that actually is, I know. I wanted I know. to give a brief... Um, we mentioned how the experience of bisexual uh, women... Oh, yeah, no, please. We do um, need to talk about bisexual well, men. Well, I was going to... Yeah, because I think women in general's sexuality isn't taken it's not taken seriously it's kind of dismissed and the it's because it's a cons- it's consumable yeah, yeah like the, the reason why people like why women are encouraged to experiment and have phases is because it's the idea is attractive to straight men mm-hmm. um and i want to talk briefly about bisexuality in men because i think it's interesting that i can name quite a few famous by women but very few famous by men and i think with men there's possibly a stronger pressure to choose a side yeah i was gonna say when i think of a lot of bisexual men like male celebrities they do tend to be referred to as gay and I yes. think like uh, George Michael and Freddie Mercury, just two right off the yeah. top of my head. And like Alan, Alan Cumming, I Alan Cumming, yeah. Um, I think, I think it's because when, I, where growing up as a lady, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying going to say something that I hadn't heard before. No, um, uh, you, the thing you constantly hear is like, oh, everyone goes through a phase and everyone experiments with men. The phrase you always hear is "everyone has gay thoughts." Oh right. Um, and like, oh, it's okay to have gay thoughts, or you know, like kiss your. Ooh, do it. It's fine. <laughs> kiss your dude friends, or you know, have fun in the showers, <laughs> or stuff like that. Yeah. Basically, you can the 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 constant idea is it doesn't matter how gay you do something, you can still be straight. And it's yeah. like bisexuality exists. It's fine to talk about that, and I think. More often, men have got no reason to even think about bisexuality. They've got too much to lose and not anything to gain Mm. by coming out. And I don't think it's coming out. I think there's a lot of bi men who have never had an internalised discussion about that and those feelings because there's just no reason to Mm. explore Mm. that, Yeah, I think. Whereas women, in some ways, are more... There's more visibility a little bit more yeah and there's more reason to talk about yeah. it, i think i think i think like homophobia in the uk and worldwide but like the way guys are expected to be so it's like how being gay is the worst thing a guy can be like you still hear mm. that it makes me so angry but for for, for bisexual men and for uh, masculine identified people like the experience they go through and the societal pressures they experience, oh, it's fucking rough. It, it, yeah, I think it's also um, because it comes a little bit down to feminism as well, and the idea that that men yeah. can't have any sort of vulnerability, they can't have the time, so they're not even encouraged mm-hmm. to reflect on their feelings and and the yeah. way things are, which is it's so harmful on so many levels. But when it comes to identifying your your sexuality and having that discussion with yourself, even before you sort of come out, sort of coming out to yourself, um, it, mm. I do think it is easier uh, for women um, because we're kind of trained to be a little bit more thoughtful. Is the wrong word, but m- m- sort of consider ourselves a little bit more. Um, and for bisexual men. Mm. They're just not given the platform to even have that discussion with themselves. Um, so I want to keep things moving and talking about bisexual men. Let's talk a little bit about <laughs> Rufus. So one of the reasons you're on the show is because you are a bisexual person who writes bisexuality. And you mentioned at the start that um, your main, your lead in your book was a way for you to explore your own um, uh struggles and yeah. feelings with that identity um 
So tell me, tell me a, uh, briefly a little bit about because um, I know I know a lot about this book and there's a lot <laughs> to talk about. Um, I have read it, but uh, talk about writing bisexuality and like the troubles in doing. Well, that. when I sort of started writing the first book, um, I really did start writing it because I wanted to see representation in that way. Um, I didn't feel comfortable writing it from a female perspective, however. I was still kind of a little bit afraid of sort of writing a female bisexual because there was still a connotation in my head that it meant promiscuity. And um, and that was not favourable in a female character. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things, fortunately, that I've unlearned uh, since then. Uh, but I was very, very much, you know, piled under with the media that I had been consuming and my own sort of... Uh, internal homophobia really and and sort of my own struggles with being a woman and being Mm. bisexual um i mean you started writing this when you were 17 so that's very understandable Uh, and it was it was a tough time um and i wrote rufus and i purposefully thought what i'm gonna do is that anytime i had consumed any sort of media which was about queer people it was always about the struggle of being queer and I hated that. I just wanted them to sort of go out on an adventure and the fact that they were queer just to be sort of something that was mentioned once and then, you know, like, literally it has nothing to do with what they do. It's like, um, you're fighting the devil. By the way, I'm gay. But anyway, we're, we're in the middle of a battle. Um, and so that's what I really, really wanted. So I wrote Rufus and he was, he was doing all of the things that I couldn't do. So he was able to explore his sexuality. He was able to go out and, and to kiss people um, and to have sexual relations with people at a time where I was at boarding school. Um, you know, it, it was uncomfortable enough, you know, sharing, <laughs> sharing your space constantly yeah. with other mm. people. And I really actually wasn't sexually attracted to anyone that I was around at that time. Um, demisexual, as I said, I just wasn't comfortable with it. And so I, I it really wasn't happening. Um, so I had this character and, and he was kind of my way out and he was my way of really exploring what was happening. Um, and even though the book obviously subsequently changed before it was published, I actually think that it is still marred um, by my own feelings of repression and by my own fear of kind of discovery at that time. Because, you know, as Jade says, um, sort of, Coming out as bisexual or gay in an all-girls school. I wasn't at an all-girls school, but I was in an all-girls boarding house, you know. So coming out, uh, uh, sort of saying I could potentially be interested in in girls would have been not just social suicide, it it would have been really, really bad for me. So I was terrified of that. And, uh, you know, even though I knew no one in the boarding house was going to read this stuff, I was just terrified of anyone possibly finding out. So... The first book, mm. a lot of people have read it and said, I can't believe, you know, that you say that they're bisexual. They just fall into all the stereo. Rufus falls into all the stereotypes. Um, he's promiscuous and he isn't really. But, you know, they they, they just say <laughs> he was just it, it was his his bisexuality was so invisible in the first book. You know, it was only mentioned once or a couple of times by a joke. And yeah, I am conscious of that. Um, but it was very much a product of what was happening in my head at at that time and it's nice because as i go into the well, second book it sort of kind of opens out a little mm. bit at the same time that i suddenly went no i'm allowed to be queer <laughs> <laughs> i mean so i um i i've read uh, the sons of thestian and one of the things i really appreciate about it in the yes like the sexuality of rufus is um you sort of have to look for it and uh, i'm like i like that you expand it in later books but so many people write fantasy worlds and for some reason decide that in this fantastical system with magic and dragons, the thing that still needs to exist is homophobia and huge mm. sexism. And I really liked in the sort of the book how you quite flippantly mention like um, a same sex marriage happening in the town that they, yeah, they visit. Yeah, I just thought, um, why not? Like that. <laughs> it, it's. Well, no, it's, it's, that's what I really like. I think what's so important in fictional worlds and the thing that we constantly bring up on, on the show is creating worlds, which anyone can feel they can be mm. part of. Yeah. Like we often mention how in worlds like Star Wars or, um, I guess Harry Potter, it's sometimes hard 
to visualize people like us in that world because there aren't examples and even and like mentioning back like mentioning background things i think is a lot more important in books when you actually have to put word counts into showing background things it's not like mm. visually it's in the background it's part of the book it's every word of a book is trying to tell you the yeah. story um and I, I'd ask, man. I haven't, I haven't read your book yet. I will, I will get, I'll get on that. Um, but do you find that as a writer, because you, I don't know if it's third person perspective or first person perspective, um, but because when you are um, in working in fiction in prose, you have a way of going into the headspace mm-hmm. of characters in a way that a visual medium perhaps doesn't allow. Did you have you found yeah. that? I know. Uh, absolutely. And actually, sort of interestingly enough, you say third person and first person. The Sons of Thestion is written in the third person, but then I started writing an urban fantasy series also with a bisexual main character who was female, who is female this time, um, uh, who, who, and it's all written in first person. And you absolutely do get into mm. their headspace, which was kind of what I was, why I wrote Rufus. But um, I, I want to give a very brief story. I will be quick, I promise. But it was just about that, that sort of that same sex <laughs> wedding you mentioned um, in the book. Uh, you see uh, two women getting married to each other in Bethine. Um, and my editor, uh, when it was first being published, left me a note sort of saying, is this historically accurate? And yeah, well, and I replied, I said, well, I said, well, like, first of all, one of my characters can turn into a giant winged cat. Um <laughs> Second of all, it's not set in history. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, she was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I guess that's fair." <laughs> I was like, Historically mm. accurate. There's that kind of, but like that person probably isn't, uh, you know, isn't homophobic. But there's that kind of wall where we don't mm. think of queer people existing in, in, in history. Certain, yeah, uh, but it's, it's just the idea that they didn't exist yeah. in history, and it's like actually. Records show that they did. <laughs> we even have marriages yeah, and no, stuff. It's just sort of, yeah, like Christianity going back and being as widespread as it is might not have a lot of records of that. But other cultures and other religions have had like hand fastings and connections between people of the yeah. same gender. Yeah, I mean, there was actually, even mm. within the Christian religion, early sort of records of, of yeah. um, men getting married to one another. So, you know, it's, just, it's yeah. just the idea that sort of Christianity came and were like, no, no, we own marriage. Like, no, it's, it's something that's existed <laughs> for literal centuries. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, we're going to get on to, in the second half, about uh, other media that's done it, and we can use your expertise on the right ways to write bisexuality. But first, should we take a little break? Let's take a tea break and put the kettle on. <laughs> the middle section of the show we're gonna have a beverage and talk about stuff that isn't the stuff we were just talking about <laughs> uh thank you for listening um please we would love you to rate review and subscribe on itunes or your podcasting app of joy that really really helps share this episode with a friend with your bisexual <laughs> friends believe me you've got some I share this you. episode with a friend to casually come out to them about your bisexuality Ooh. um it's great to have you on the show, Madeline. Um, in this section, we tend to plug stuff um, yes. shamelessly. Um, and we've mentioned your book. Would you actually like to talk about where people can buy it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so uh, the series is called The Hamartia Cycle. Um, and the first two books, um, actually the first two books and the novella are now available. And you can buy the paper copies uh through Waterstones um, or your other local bookshop. Um, if they don't stock it, you can order it. I- equally, you can get it on Amazon or you can get it um, on ebook on Amazon as well. Currently, there's a special price going for the first book. Um, it's just 99p. So, so please. Hmm. That's a lot of value for money because it it's, is it's, a, it's a pretty substantial <laughs> book. Um, and so the first book is called The Sons yeah. of Thestian um, and the second book is called Blood of the Delphi. Um, so those two are the books that I'm doing. I'm also going to take this moment to mention my other true love, uh, which is Dissecting Dragons, um, my and Jules Ironside's uh, 
podcast, which Hamish has come on to. Um, uh, sorry, that sounds like you, you sort of came on to the podcast. I'm talking about it being my true love. He just, <laughs> he just really dun, likes it. Dun, dun, really sorry. Likes it. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, if, if you want to sort of see more of Hamish in another context as well, uh, please do check out the episodes that he, he's been on. He's talked about The Wizard of Oz, um, and we've also obviously talked about Pantheon. Um, and we do mean to get you on again, Hamish, to talk about uh, Dead Endia. Well, I came on to the... Yeah, I came on to for the um, LGBT yeah. episode, and we tried to cover all LGBT representation yeah. in the media. In <laughs> I just, hour. And that was when I was. Like, <laughs> I just like the fact that she said, "Like, yeah, we took one episode over it, and it was, <laughs> and you've you've done a whole series now." Um, yeah, but that's what it's, what's, what's good about podcasts. Um, yeah, if you ever want to talk about like D and D fantasy, <laughs> um, let me know because yes. I can talk about D and D and like fantasy games and tabletop a lot. Um, I wanted to briefly mention um, Sons of Thestian because I uh, I struggle with reading. Big epic fantasy novels are not a thing that I read much in my life. And obviously I did read this because I'm a friend, um, but uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, I compare it a lot to things like, it feels a bit Merlin and uh, the BBC yes! show, but goes off, it kind of like starts off, but then goes off in quite a um, dark and emotional kind of route. It it pulls from folklore and fantasy you don't often see uh, pulled from. Um, and I remember reading it and like visualizing it as like a Howl's Moving Castle style like adaptation. Yeah, you, you drew some awesome um, pictures for me, and I got all excited. <laughs> yeah, but it it just it's very it's very magical. And I know that's a bit of a um, stereotype when <laughs> reviewing fantasy books, but it is Thank very you. good. Uh, we've got a limited amount of time with yes. uh, Madeline before she has to disappear. So let's uh, finish up our beverages and get back to the discussion. Right, so let's talk canon bisexual representation in media, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I want to end the episode more positively, so let's start with the bad. Let's start with stuff we hate! Um, Bisexual representation tends to fall into a lot of nasty tropes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot about uh, sort of just a phase type characters where we cling onto them as bisexual, but the show isn't caring about that. Yeah. Yeah. and also using bisexuality to kind of denote characters as being <laughs> evil. <laughs> or There's quite a lot of episodes. Um, there's a thing in Star Trek where people in the evil mirror universe tend to be a lot more bisexual <laughs> than those in the main one. Uh, Vamp Willow back in Buffy was, yeah. uh, I think I'm kind of gay. Yeah. And that all has to do with sort of promiscuity being viewed as completely evil. So are there any particular examples of this other than Star Trek and Willow? Oh, man. Or do we not want to give them the? I don't know space? whether I, want, I just feel like it's so tropey that, and it happens so. When it did happen, it was so fleeting, and it was almost um, like there's a long history of queer coding villains, and I feel like um, male villains get this particularly bad. Like female villains are sexy and hit on everything because female villains because promiscuity mm. is bad. Uh, there's just such a long and unpleasant history of it that I don't care to mm. talk about it I only, too much. I only mention Star Trek because it happened a little bit in uh, the in Deep Space Nine and some other things, but I was really shocked that it still happened in Star Trek Discovery this year. Yeah, where um, uh, Philippa Giorgio, who yeah. uh, in our universe we don't see much of, but we do meet a parallel universe version and even though it's kind of hot, the scene of her like making out with a male and female um, sort of yeah. exotic dancer. It's, 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 it's still considered a sign of deviancy. Yeah, it's, she, it's she's only doing that because she's the evil version. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, the, the thing that always gets me is the, uh, is the characters where it's not even, oh, they're, they're evil, but it's, it's the I don't like labels character. He's like, I, I, don't, I don't like labels. And I, I get that. You know, some people honestly don't like labels. I went through a period of my life where I also just thought I don't like labels. Um, but actually, I do like labels. I'm going to hold them. I'm going to hold on to them. It's nice to have language to identify with what I am. Um, but it's just the idea that, uh, no, no, there are no words for what I am. I just am. I, I'm just evil. <laughs> 
it's, I think it's it's the prevalence of that. I don't like to label this. And it was like what you were saying, Madeline, when uh, somebody told you when you were younger, oh, I'm bisexual, and you're like, oh, shit, there's a yeah. word for it. Mm. Words are important. Language is important. So just to have this behaviour happening and they're just like, I don't like to name what I feel, what I am. It's, it's such a load yeah. of wank. And also writers, I'm going to say straight writers, think it's a lot smarter to describe mm. a sexuality in any other way other than just saying the word, which comes to the point that the word bi is so rare to hear on TV. I I, I know yeah. I know we're going to talk about sort of positive ones later, so I won't mention what it's mm. from, but there was a show that I've been watching where one of the characters comes out and the word bi is repeated over and over and over again in the episode and by and by the end Sean just looked over to me and I was sobbing and he was like are you okay and I'm like this is so good thank you it's just so easy it's such a short word it's such a short word like it's one so many puns you can make with Um, it bicycles so many puns (laughs) but like it's so it's mostly so annoying when I think about Orange is the New Black yeah. When the main character is bisexual, it's a really established fact that she had a long sexual relationship with a woman and is now with a man. But even the character seems completely baffled by the concept and everyone's constantly telling her, oh, so you're gay now? Oh, so you're straight now? And it took to like late in season two for a male character to describe her as like, I think she's probably bi or something, but I don't know. And it's like, it's so easy just for a character. Like, why can't a character just say I'm bi and not and, have to be this huge yeah. conflict and yeah like, the fact I'm looking forward to getting onto the good examples because like it's so easy for a character to just say it because yeah. I appreciate like there are there are struggles with showing because you don't just want to go oh this person's on a date with a man this person's on a date with a woman or mm. shorthand they're having a threesome like <laughs> yeah. that is true to a number of people's experiences but that isn't all bisexuality is. And somebody that is in a monogamous relationship with somebody of a different gender to themselves is still bisexual. Yeah. Like, And they can just maybe offhandedly mention a past girlfriend or meet an ex. And it could just be perfectly, oh, and there it is. And look how easy that was. And now we're moving on. <laughs> hmm. It's not hard to do. No, no, it's very hard. <laughs> I think you'll find. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it's kind of, that's sort of by erasure in some ways, um, mm. where characters are very like. I, I, so, an example of by erasure, I think recently, and I'm glad it's changing, is um, the TV show of Constantine. Yeah. Um, which they he's by in the comics, but yes. when they made the TV show, they said that that wouldn't feature in the show. However, his show got cancelled, and now that character is in. The Legend of Tomorrow TV series. Heck yeah. Where they are doing really good things with <laughs> sexual representation. And uh, awesome. he's joining the main cast next season and they've said like, yep, he's going to be hella bi. <laughs> I, I might literally just watch um, um, he, that show just for Constantine because he's... He, he... Mm, Legends of Tomorrow is a hot mess, but it's a fun one. <laughs> the one will... the Arthur Darr villain. <laughs> yep, but it's, it's also got, um, it's got quite a few like... Uh, gay characters. Is Wentworth um, Miller in that one? Yeah, he plays... he's a... I believe Wentworth Miller's bisexual. Yeah, and he plays a Captain Cold, yeah. who is a pretty trashy DC villain, but he's gay in the yeah. show and he's in a relationship. And um, I don't know, it's just like... What I don't understand is that people are cutting off potential storylines. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if characters are bi, that's a lot more drama and that's what we love. <laughs> yeah. um, just make it happen. Uh, but let's talk some good examples. I'm, uh, again, aware of our time constraints. <laughs> but uh, what was the example you were talking about? So it's one? from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Heck yes, yeah. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, <laughs> Rosa Diaz coming out as bi, which also the actress, you know, um, recently came out as bi as well, and she wanted to incorporate that into the character. And I just think that the the showrunners will have been great in that respect because they've really allowed sort of a lot of commentary on on things like that um and so rosa was was made by and that episode it was where she she comes out to her parents was so important on so many levels i Mm. i was literally sobbing at the end um because i was so happy but i was also desperately sad because i i really understood what she was going through um, and I just think that it added such a fresh tone 
to the series. It was it was just really great of them to do it, and they handled it so well. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it comes. It's it's really telling that when uh, a character is by played by a bi person in a show where the actors and the writers have a lot of communication. Mm. Mm. Um, and also someone like uh, her who's on Twitter, who's engaged in the discourse, who understands what good representation is. Um, and she's a huge fan of media. Mm. Um, it's just, it doesn't, it, it, some shows can suddenly introduce a character being queer multiple seasons in and it feel like a desperate kind of ratings yeah. situation. It does not feel like this. It's, it's like it was really natural for the character and the actor at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It to happen. Uh, one quick one I want to point out because it just made me really happy, and with how offhand it was, um, and I think I mentioned this briefly on the podcast before, is in season two of Dirk Gently. Uh, we meet this character, Tina, who very offhandedly, I think, when asking Farah uh, if she's in a relationship with Todd or with Dirk, and Farah just gives her this look, she's like, hey, no, 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 no cause, no judgment, I'm by. And it's just like, oh, look how easy that was. <laughs> mm. did, did you see how easy that was? Um, and just to show how matter of fact it is, that is actually how people talk. Like it doesn't have to be a big, deep soul searching thing. While it's so important to show the stories like Rosa's, mm. it doesn't have to have that kind of weight and narrative dominance. While I'm saying we need more of those stories, it doesn't have to be that to count as good representation for us to see ourselves and go, yay. Yeah. I think the the problem um, is that we're so limited for representation that that we just yes. we sort of we end up taking what we've got and we sort of feel like why do we only ever get this and so having more of that some by characters who are already and openly out by characters who are still finding themselves by characters who figure it out halfway through the show we need all of those things and we just mm-hmm. need more of all of those things yeah one thing I want to give a shout out to and I really need to watch it I really need to watch it is black sails yes because apparently there is a number of bi characters there are poly relationships there are bisexual women there are bisexual men it's pirates it's, a, it's like, the best thing about black sails is that it kind of pulls you it, it sort of it, it was sort of uh, advertised as the the kind of show that would be very very sort of uh, sort of would be a hit among sort of straight audiences who wouldn't usually sort of uh, take on sort of any queer kind of culture at all. And it, and it was like the biggest plot twist ever where it was actually, everyone's queer! <laughs> all of them! <laughs> 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 you thought there were straight characters in this. There aren't! <laughs> we all had our suspicions about piracy. Here's mm. the proof. Um, again, I'm sorry, we, we, we're rushing through, but... Um, in order to get the representation we want, we sometimes have to headcount things. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's anything, any examples where you think a character makes more sense if they're bi, but the show or the film or whatever doesn't um, suggest it. It's hinted at, I think, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, but yes! Jay Peralta. Thank you. I was ex- going to say exactly uh, the same thing. <laughs> yep. They hint at that. A lot. The way Jake has relationships with other men is mm. like the way he talks about sexuality and people. That's just such a good example of. And the thing is, when he has this conversation with Rosa, when he's doing like this coming out thing or how he might do it, it's just like, <laughs> oh, Jake, baby, sweetness, talk to me. But the, please. There was that great line um, where he's just broken up with his, his girlfriend, and every person he asks, he, every person he sees, he just asks them what they're doing later. <laughs> and it's just like yeah. he's on the major rebound, yeah. but it's with guys and girls and everyone. It really doesn't matter. It's, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, um, I, I totally read him as bi. I mean, of, another character I yeah, sort same. of read as bi who is actually canically bi, but you don't see it in the movies. Um, and it's not just canically bi, but mythologically bi is Loki. Hello. Yeah, Hello, so, sorry. sorry uh, we our Skype went very quiet. Can you say that again, and then I'll. I'll do some <laughs> editing. I'll do some editing. Um, uh, in the movie is Loki. Um, yes. Because I mean, not only is Loki 
very clearly bisexual. Loki is is next level bi. Loki is change yourself oh, into yeah. a into a female horse and get impregnated. Lo- 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 Loki <laughs> isn't yeah. just just bi. Loki is no gender. Loki is all genders. <laughs> I mean, in Thor Ragnarok, it's implied yeah, it's very that he slept, a, he slept his way to the top of. Uh, the planet good yeah. boy good boy i fucked my way into this mess and i'm gonna <laughs> fuck my way out we I all mean, approve brief shout out to valkyrie as well yes. who um i i buy the chemistry she has with thor but also the backstory yeah of the valkyries as well yeah um another quick one i'll mention because we could talk about headcanon buys for <laughs> till the cows come home because there's a lot of people i want to be um i just would like for the good place to finally push Eleanor and confirm her as bisexual mm. woman. Like, no straight woman talks about Tahani yeah. like that, like, quite frankly. Um, but I know also, J- uh, oh, I cannot remember the actress's name, Jamila. Jamila, there we go, wants to put, she ships Eleanor Tahani like so hard. Hmm. Yeah. So it would be, I, I, and I'm very invested in Eleanor's relationship with Chidi. Don't get me wrong. However, <laughs> I mean, did you see that picture that got recently released of Kristen Bell in a suit? Like, not every woman who wears a suit has to be bisexual. <laughs> no, yes, no, they do. That, that's law. <laughs> Whoops, I wore a suit. Guess I'm bi. It just, it, these are good things. These are good I, things. I, um, I think I'm going to save, we have some questions at the end, but I think I might save them for um, uh, an episode more about queer identities. Um, so instead, I think we just conclude our points okay. on uh, bisexuality in media. Um, more, please. <laughs> more, please. <laughs> There's more to say than that. <laughs> I think, um, as a non-bi, <laughs> uh, that's what we call you. Yes. <laughs> there is only bisexual um, like, and non-bi. Over a decade, <laughs> like we've talked before, how Torchwood is a Hot mess. Cluster fridge of um, all kinds of uh, very progressive stuff next to incredibly archaic bad. stuff. So bad. But it's been so long since Torchwood, a show in which nobody seems to be straight and mm-hmm. anyone could end up with anyone. Yeah. And it's like, that's how a lot of people watch TV anyway. Mm. Like, fans watch TV kind of with this weird background assumption everyone mm. could be by. Because we care about relationships and not so much about sexualities. Yeah. And I think writers should just embrace yeah. that a bit more. That'd be nice. Yeah. I Personally. agree. I, I think that it is all about there being so limited amount of, of, of bisexuals in media. And the moment that we start to see more is the moment that we can actually really give representation to the wide variety of people. Because there are going to be asexual bisexuals is a thing. That's a mouth. That's mm-hmm. a mouthful. Yep. Mm. Um, that that is a thing. And so the idea that bisexuals are always out, sort of having sex and things like that, it's it's really harmful and it's kind of upsetting. And for them, and but yeah. for another person actually as well, uh, you know, if you are um, a poly bisexual or, or you know you are someone who does like having sex with lots of people, which is totally fine. Um, yeah, you want to see yourself represented as well. Uh, it's just about having characters for everyone and using that word and not yeah. being afraid of it because I'm, I had an experience where a fan, a young fan of, of mine, read my book and she came up to me afterwards and she said and she basically realised that she was queer whilst reading the book. And she said how important it was just to see a character written like that, um, where it wasn't an issue, where it was just a thing and they were comfortable and they were safe as well. That was the other thing. It was safe. It's safe for Rufus to be the sexuality that he is. Um, it's not safe for Rufus to no, do No, every, everything else, Rufus is in danger like 99% of the time. He, like, it's not safe for him to eat or drink or breathe. But being bisexual is absolutely <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a really nice note to end it on. I agree. So, um, if you'd like to send in a question for next episode, I'm sure you will have time. <laughs> um, but we're a little bit strapped this time. Uh, please send them into boxnoncluded at gmail.com. 
Uh, we also have social media on Twitter and Tumblr. Just search for Box Not Included. And we also have our Facebook group, which has been amazing and is the reason that we are doing this kind of mini-series because of all the feedback we got. So join that if you're on if you're still on Facebook. Yep. Um, and or you can also contact us directly. I'm at Hamish Steele. I'm at jadoxfordrose. Um, Madeline, do you I have do. Um, so my Twitter is at m underscore e underscore Vaughan. <laughs> Um, and you can also find Marvelous. me on my website, which is very simply www.madelinevaughan.com, um, or find me on Facebook or Tumblr under M.E. Vaughan. So, yeah, please say hi. And also, <laughs> yes, and also make sure to search for Dissecting Yay! Dragons if you enjoyed this episode on uh, your podcast. We've got a big these. red logo, you'll find us. <laughs> <clears throat> Marvellous. And finally, as always, we'd like to thank Graham Waller. Audio Overlord and Master of the Soundwaves. For our theme music, he helps produce the podcast. And we like him a lot. But until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. <laughs> Madeline, you can say goodbye. It's our fault for not putting on the document. <laughs> and I'm Madeline Vaughan. <laughs> <laughs> We're so good at podcasting. Yes. Please don't let anybody box you in. <laughs>